sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right. Well, looks like we're starting off with Ben and uh, Mike and Art. So let's get started. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. A uh, couple of questions. One, uh, I've got a, a, a couple of tomato plants uh, here and that has survived the winter. And they're probably four and a half feet tall and covered with blooms. Okay. Uh, as I, I was wondering, if are they... Are they not making tomatoes because there's not enough daylight uh, yet in the se- in the cycle? Probably has more to do with the temperatures. Uh, they don't oh, okay. set fruit until the night temperatures uh, start warming up. If they're making flowers, then you know that it's uh, um, they are certainly capable of it. But we're still, you know, we're still in the. 40s where you are i've been up in the down in the 30s several nights recently and we got to get those night temperatures up to about 55 or 60 before they're really going to start setting fruit i got you the other question i had is my beets uh of course they have many of them have two uh two stems coming out of the seed right and and uh i query whether i might dig those up separate them and plant them uh, and have two two beets or or, or uh, is that is that uh, uh, rewarding? <laughs> Usually, you end up killing both plants trying to do it. And here's the deal: you don't really have two stems coming out of a seed when you open that package of beet quote seed, and it looks like all those little uh, oh those little burrs down in there. Every one of those is actually a capsule that normally has four seeds in it, but they just don't go to the trouble to try to extract the seed from it. And that's why you frequently get multiple sprouts out of what you thought was one seed that you're putting in the ground. You're really better off. I mean, beet seed is cheap and you would be better off uh, just, in effect, pinching off one of those and eating it than trying to you know, get it out of there because of that, you know, how hard that little capsule is to try to separate that out. You're most likely going to break off both of them and have nothing instead of have two plants. So, um, that's what I would suggest. I mean, you can try and experiment. Uh, uh, it's also not really practical. I've thought about taking and soaking that seed in water or something and trying to break it up that capsule and actually separate out the individual seeds. But, uh, um, it's generally just not worth the effort. If it's a real pain, you can always go with a seed tape. I would think they may actually do that pelletized seed. I know they do that in carrots. Uh, James talks to us about that regularly where they've actually taken and encased the individual seeds in a little bit of material with some fertilizer and some other good things to get them started. More expensive, but easier to plant. You don't have to worry about thinning them, but totally up to you. But anyway, long answer to a short question. I just want you to know what you're looking at and what you thought was a seed was probably actually four seeds. So, uh, don't be surprised if one of these days you get four stems coming up out of it, but by the same token. And that's one reason, too, that sometimes 
if you leave both of them to develop, you'll have what looks like a two-lobed beet down on the bottom, just right. a really odd-shaped beet. Those are just two uh, roots that grew together, fused together, because they were in such close proximity. So um, I guess that's Beets 101. Okay. Uh, many of my beets, not, notwithstanding the ground is pretty soft, many of them just they they. After they get about three inches tall, uh, indeed, from the inception, they're just laying over. They're not, you know, nice vertical uh, uh, beats. Uh, are, are they in full sun? Uh, no. Uh-uh. Yeah, see, that's what they really need. Because, that's what the problem is. Yeah, okay. the sunlight, there, there's a hormone in the stems of plants, beets and most other things, that causes the cells to elongate, to stretch, as it were. And that is broken down by sunlight. So when you have bright sunlight, you get a much more compact and a much stronger stem coming up. When you don't have as much light, those little stems just stretch out. And uh, it's like you say, you just get tops lying over. And typically, you don't get as large a beet because you don't have enough sun to keep manufacturing those sugars, which is what any root vegetable is really all about. Okay, so you just kind of spinning your wheels when you plant them in the shade. Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, they're just the problem with you know, so many of us have gardens that just the trees around them have grown up and get shadier and shadier. There are a few things that will do okay in those situations. Lettuces, for one. Um, and some of your other leafy vegetables, spinach will do in partial shade. Chard, not quite so much. Bok choy will do in partial shade. Uh, but your root crops and certainly your tomatoes, uh, they've got to have that full sun along with eggplant. Some of your peppers will actually do in partial shade. So uh, I think you need to just kind of revisit your garden layout and be sure you're okay. getting the things that demand full sun out into the sunnier areas. Sure appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Ben. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Next up is going to be Mike, and then it'll be Art and Clark. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, listen, don't get me wrong. I love barn swallows. I mean, they do a <laughs> heck of a job on insect control <laughs> and, and everything else. <clears throat> I've got I've got several nests. Here around the house and stuff, but there's this one area outside my kitchen door where uh, I've got a porch overhang. I guess about eight by sixteen, uh, and <laughs> I remember that you you suggested uh, one year to paint it a, a slight a sky blue color. That and that I, may yeah. or may not work with the barn swallows. It works with the wasps and it works with the mud daubers. But I I don't know that the barn swallows are going to pay any attention to that. And, yeah, I know the feeling. The, the, the nest is not that bad. It's the three inches of poop that pile up on the ground underneath it that gets real old. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, and I was just – I remember that you said that there was a certain shade of blue to, to paint. Well, to that's – yeah, again, that's but, not you – know, if, if that works, uh, but – uh, I don't know about knocking knocking the nest down. They'll come right back again. But yeah. anyway, I don't know. Have you got any ideas? Well, I don't know if the blue will stop them or not. Like I say, I know it stops certain insects. And if you want to try, it's just uh, it's what they call haint, H-A-I-N-T, haint blue. 
and uh, it's just sort of a sky blue color, but I I don't know that that's going to do enough to stop the barn swallows. I'll tell you what will normally stop them completely is if you go to some gag shop or maybe even a nature store or something like that and get a fairly realistic rubber snake and uh, find a way to nail it up. I mean, we have our one of our native snakes is called the Texas rat snake or Lindheimer's rat snake. And the main thing that it eats is birds. Uh, they are climbers. They will go up. Uh, around my home, I have white columns around that support a porch around three sides upstairs. And they've kind of got those grooves in them. And those snakes can go up straight up one of those poles. And I actually found one curled up on top of a big abandoned wasp nest you know, 14 feet off the ground, I was sitting there digesting one of those swallows that it had had for a meal recently. And so they are deathly afraid of snakes. And, you know, from their little uh, swallow brain perspective, it's probably a good thing because the snakes will eat them. I think if you can find a way to suspend something like that, up there, I think yep. that you may get some <laughs> some comments and and questions from some of your guests that happen to look up. Most people never do, but uh, I if you want to experiment with the blue, it's it's haint blue. It's a light blue shade, but uh, I personally think that a, a realistic looking snake is going to do more to run them off than anything else. Other thing I've seen people do is actually take and you know put a. Uh, some sort of very rough material up there, like I've even known people to take a board, drive a bunch of nails through it, pointing outwards, and then just use one screw to attach it. You just want to make it uncomfortable for them to light and try to build a nest on that surface. And uh, anything you can do to accomplish that. I've had people that uh, would take and just roll a little small roll of chicken wire, three, four inches in diameter, and uh staple that up but it it's yeah. in my experience it's got to be more of a physical or uh or you know frightening barrier to them yeah. uh some people use owl decoys and put them around their porches because owls of course also eat a lot of uh nesting birds and and you might give that a try the paint maybe maybe I've not tried the owl yeah thing. i've tried the owl thing it doesn't work yeah yeah so anyway, okay. So where do I get these uh, snakes at Wild Birds Unlimited? Or, or yeah, if Bill doesn't have them out there, uh, my favorite ones is store there on Northwest Military in Hebner. He probably knows who will, um, but I think uh, you know probably Bass Pro probably has them. Um, gee, just about any outdoor shop like that's probably going to have them. Okay. All right. Well, I'm gonna, let me give that a shot and, and see. Yeah. Instead of instead of painting, because my wife wasn't really, you know, all that keen on painting the underside of the porch blue. Well, it's you a know, light but, blue. It's it's not that yeah. bad. I just had my porch replaced, and I've I've got to get up there and paint it. But uh, 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 it's yeah. It does stop the wasp. It does stop the mud doppers. I tell you what. I'll make a note to uh, ask Howard Garrett today because he's. He, you know, he broadcasts about oh, right. 40 different radio stations or something, and I'll ask him if he's got any idea uh, about how his listeners have stopped him. So we'll we'll try that and see if he's got any other recommendations. Okay, uh, one other quickie. Uh, I called um, several weeks ago about uh, moving my purple sages. I never have gotten a chance to do that. I've got the holes prepared and everything else, but is it too late to 
to move them. Well, here's the thing. You know, they need to have a chance. The hotter it gets, the more they transpire, the more they need to have a root system to take moisture up and, you know, right. move it through the leaves. This has not been a hot spring. This has been, I, I never use the word normal when I talk about weather, but this has been more of a typical spring. It hadn't been real hot, hadn't been real cold, has been fairly moist. So just the sooner you get it done, the longer the period of time those plants will have to get some roots restarted before the hot weather hits. So if you were to transplant them today, the weather stays like it is for another six weeks, should be no problem at all. You transplant them today and next week it decides to go to 90 degrees and stay there, not going to do so well. But uh, bottom line is just get it done as quickly as you can. Okay. All right, I've got my taters in the ground already. And good. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to a good crop and, and got my vines trimmed up. Peaches <laughs> pruned and everything else. Well, then you ought to have time to transplant those anises sometime soon. All right, thank you, sir. <laughs> my pleasure, Mike. Thank you, sir. Right. Goodbye. All right, down to Floresville. Good morning, Art. Let's see. Let's try this one more time. Uh, good morning, Art. Hey, good morning. Greetings, Bob. Good morning uh, to you, sir. I was uh, desiring or thinking about some cucumbers this year. One of them to try would be the English cucumber. Mm-hmm. Are they likely to do any well here? For me, the English cucumbers do not produce quite as quickly as some of the others do, but I've grown very good uh, English cucumbers. I think the variety I've grown is called Chelsea Pride or something like that. Uh, They're a little bit rougher textured cucumber, but they're delicious cucumber, and uh, they've always done fine for me. Uh, I will admit that I grow my cucumbers usually a little earlier in the season. I think mid-summer you're going to be better with a lemon cuke or a straight eight or something like that, but if you'll plant them early when you plant your squash and things uh english cucumbers they'll sit there and you'll swear oh gee these things just aren't going to produce for me and then all of a sudden they'll be loaded with cucumbers if they do like do in my garden but uh i've been successful with uh, english with uh with those cucumbers and i don't see any reason you shouldn't be successful with them well okay good i've got a probably a six foot trellis uh-huh. two by four squares of wire should i raise that higher do you think? No, six feet's plenty high for them. I mean, they would grow up to the top of a 10-foot trellis, but then you're going to have to be out there with a ladder to pick the cucumbers. And uh, no, six feet should be plenty high. They get to the top and uh, try to grow higher. They just bend over and keep grow along the top of it. Thank you, Bob. You're very helpful and very optimistic. (laughs) We'll give give it a try. Very good, Art. Let me know how it works out for you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, uh, Clark is next, and it's going to be Clinton Richard. Good morning, Clark. Good morning. Morning, uh, sir. I had a my question is about trimming oak trees. I need to trim some oak trees today. Okay. And I know that the philosophy changes over whether or not to paint them uh, when the cuts. Uh, What's the current thinking on that? Well, the current thinking's always been the same unless you're a lazy bum tree trimmer that doesn't want to do the work he needs to do. Um, We have always recommended, the Forest Service has always recommended every wound, every time. Now, it doesn't have to be pruning paint. The wounds 
remain potentially infectable for 8 to 10 days. So anything that seals that wound up, in fact, I've had uh, a couple of good arborists tell me that they feel like the just a water-based uh, latex paint is just as good, if not better, than the pruning paint. But um, you, you just want to seal it up because, especially in a wet year like this, uh, there will be lots of uh, spore mats from the red oaks, uh, and, and that's how that's what we're trying to protect against. So little insects called the nitty doodle beetles that go to feed on the sap on a pruning cut, and they have previously been feeding on the sticky stuff on one of these spore mats, and they transfer the fungal spores which cause the oak wilt to the wound so uh, the smaller the wound the faster it seals up the bigger the wound the slower it is to uh, seal up but uh, I you know I still go with what every good arborist I know says and that is prune or paint every wound every time okay Um, I, I had heard Howard Garrett had a different thinking on that and I I thought you had changed your thinking. No, you know, Howard's up in North Texas, and they have very little problem up with oak wilt up there. Uh-huh. The reason that there has not been a lot of time and money put into solving the oak wilt problem is that it affects basically probably about 20 counties of Texas, or about the only places that really have severe oak wilt problems, and that's the Texas Hill Country and surrounding area. And none of these research institutions are going to, you know, spend the money to create a product that is only only going to be used, you know, by a few mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people. Now, believe me, if this was a problem that was spreading through the heavily, heavily populated northeast or, you know, if suddenly Houston were overrun with oak wilt issues, yeah, there'd be a lot more people spending a lot more money on it, but... uh Mm-hmm. Um, I, there, there is, and, and, you know, I, I certainly respect Howard and, and a lot of the things he says are true. He says, well, what about all the damage that get, gets done by hailstorms and windstorms? And it's true. We don't get those wounds painted, but at the same time, we sometimes get oak wilt centers started. The other problem too, is it's so many people don't prune properly and they go and and i'm i was guilty of this 20 years ago i thought you want to make the cut as far back up flush against the trunk as you could that really slows down the healing you always want to leave that little branch collar which is somewhere between a quarter and maybe three-eighths of an inch you know out and then those wounds mm-hmm. heal over pretty quickly especially the small wounds but um I, it's just, I, I just, you're just playing Russian roulette and, uh, yeah, you may, you might prune for years and not have a problem, but because of the way the roots are fused from one tree to another, you get oak wilt started and it's almost impossible to stop. If you've got a big mod of trees, uh, in rural lands, they go in and they trench and it still jumps the trimps trench about 40% of the time in town, boy, with, the underground cables and water lines gas lines um it it just becomes really really difficult and uh when you get in the habit of it it's just not that difficult you know i and and sometimes 
and pruning. And I have to prune on my oak trees to keep the cows from eating on them and leaving wounds on them and things like that. But I'll start fairly far down and then, you know, cut a two-foot section at a time. And I don't stop and, you know, paint every one of those wounds. But when I get up to my last cut, it's just not that much trouble to spend an extra one-and-a-half seconds uh, coating it with uh, spray paint of some sort. And like I say, it doesn't doesn't have to be pruning sealer. In fact, uh, a lot of the arborists say that, you know, water-based paint probably works better. Uh, but I, I still think it's a good idea because uh, – I've just seen the devastation of oak wilt, and I I just think it's worth doing everything you can to try to prevent. Yeah, I've seen several acres wiped out um, yeah. here. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, okay. Um, well, thanks for the uh, advice. I'll get me some spray paint. That'd <laughs> be easier than brushing it on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't use fluorescent orange, but <laughs> just just go grab a can of the cheapest stuff you can find, Clark, and it'll do the job for you. Right. Okay. I'll do that. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. We get Clint in here before the news break. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. Hey, you got me worried. Any oak wilt in Medina County? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got lots of oak wilt around Medina County. Okay. Well, I was calling to see what variety of grapefruit does well in this area. You know, grapefruit is typically not cold hardy, and um, but I, I say that one of our employees' parents have a tree in their yard that's been there for 20, 30 years, and it produces every year. It's an old sour grapefruit. It's not one of these sweet, fancy red grapefruits. But uh, you can, I, I know Rio Star is a real popular one, um, but you're always taking a chance because grapefruit's going to make a big tree. It's going to be hard to cover, and they're all going to be a little bit more susceptible to freeze damage than your satsumas are. But uh, if I were, you know, I, I would, you can talk to the people that produce Brazos Valley Citrus is one big citrus producer. Um, Bechtel, oh gosh, trying to think of the other name of the, uh, they're, they're really only two citrus producers in Texas and it's illegal to ship citrus any, from any other state from California or Florida or anything like that. But um, uh, I tell you what, I, I will ask if they have any varieties that they think are more cold hardy. But um, I, I think you're going to find with a grapefruit just planted on the south side of your home, uh, you're down in Divine, which should be a little bit warmer than San Antonio. But I, you know, you'll get a pretty good frost down there every couple of years. So just be aware that, uh, uh, you know, you may occasionally get a little bit of freeze damage to it. Well, a friend brought in one from work. They uh, have someone like that has a big old tree yep. you know, for you. And it was actually really good. It had a lot of white. Yeah. Light white. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I think we all grew up with those whole kind of sour grapefruits and sometimes we sprinkle a little sugar and things on them. And I still think they're pretty darn tasty and they make a heck of a salty dog. But <laughs> it's... Uh, um, you know, you might um, it, at some point plant almost any other citrus and then get uh, get him to let you have a little bit of graft root wood off his tree if it's been dependably cold hardy. And, uh, um, yeah, they there are trees out there, but I don't know that anybody's propagating them for sale. Any chance they come true from a seed? 
Oh, yeah. But then you got about a six or eight year wait uh, to get them up to producing size. But absolutely, no, I think it'd be a great thing. And that way you never have to worry about trouts coming off the rootstock. I'd, I'd grab some seeds and get them started. And you're a young, patient man. So first thing you know, it'll be producing. I don't know about that one. But. <laughs> well, I say close to the truth if I don't tell the absolute truth. Hey, is that your only question? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate it.